Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? This week we've got a live recording from you that myself and Baz took at the Dragon Me convention in London. We discussed is there too much Cthulhu in gaming, which of course there is, but we were disagreed with by our good friends, the good friends of Jackson Elias. It was a boisterous session, as you can imagine, and because there are a thousand people at the convention, in and out and around, the sound quality of the recording isn't brilliant, but I'm sure you'll get a lot out of it all the same. Have a listen, let us know what you think. Is there too much Cthulhu? Well, of course there is, but feel free to disagree, because we like your comments. Enjoy. <laughs> okay, everybody, welcome to... Uh the good for the professionals. We have the good friends of Jackson Elias, and we have the smart party. And tonight we're going to take on the contentious subject of is there too much Cthulhu in role playing games? Yes, there is. Thank you for coming, everybody. And we'll see you next year. <laughs> Stop throwing fish. <laughs> I didn't cast it. I'm the chairman. I'm the chairman. <laughs> I'm, I'm entirely it's, impartial it's, in this debate. It's going to take me weeks to get these out of my beard. <laughs> and we will in addition, you're purely impartial. <laughs> but this, is, this is a professional recording, and for the purpose of people at home, I have to explain that the audience are throwing fish at us. <laughs> no, we're not. We're bringing down your show, really. With this. I'll let it all this out, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> so, as I said... We're going to take on the contentious subject, is there too much Cthulhu in role-playing games? Uh, The good friends here, Scott and Matt, are going to take the side of, no, there isn't too much. How can there be too much? And our friends here from the Smart Party, Baz and Gaz, are going to take on the other side and try and convince you that there is too much Cthulhu. But wait! You probably have an opinion on this already. So... What I'd like you to do is, if you think there is already too much Cthulhu in role-playing games, I'd like to raise both hands and shout, Yeah! Yeah! That's too many. That's not bad. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's... There was a pregnant pause for a second. I did get worried. (laughs) (laughs) If you think, as a rational, sane human being, there can never be too... Sorry. Impartially. uh, (laughs) (laughs) That... There can never be too much Cthulhu in role-playing games. I want you to put both hands up and yell, Fatagan! Fatagan! Hey, we're winning already. I think it counts as even. Yeah, I think there's, There's for the benefit of the listener at home, I think there was definitely more people on the Fatagan front thinking that, you know, there can never be too much Cthulhu in role-playing games. But perhaps by the end of this evening, your mind's will have changed. And I don't mean like dissolved and run out of your ears. <laughs> we may have changed your views. So let's kick off with a discussion of exactly what do we mean when we say Cthulhu in role-playing games? Because this can mean many different things to different people. So I'm going to invite Gaz here to uh, speak eloquently on this subject for 60 seconds without hesitation, repetition, repetition or, or deviation. Do I have to use English words as well? Can I just stumble like you did? <laughs> You're not allowed to get I'm the chairman. Oh, right? sorry, I've been partial to the So, Cthulhu. Seriously. A lot of the time, Cthulhu is shorthand for deep ones. A lot of games you play, it's just Cthulhu statues. You do nothing for three hours in a game. You follow some loose investigation, finding odd things and artworks, and then you'll go mad or die at the end. People delight in this. Surely that's not a role-playing game. Surely there's more to Lovecraftian stories than this. 
there's a whole wealth of horror, existentialism, all kinds of things that are involved in the original source material. But when it comes to Cthulhu and gaming, surely all it seems to come down to at conventions is doing not a lot until gleefully going mad or dying at the end. And if you get both, you get bonus points. And people seem happy about it. They should be horrified. They should be scared. They should be distraught at the, the whole prospect of going through a Cthulhu adventure, but people approach it with glee and look forward to going mad or dying. Surely this can't be role-playing. <laughs> What'd you say to this, Matt? Uh, to be fair, if you played any game with Scott, I can understand how you come away with that feel. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have words down in the car park later, Matt. <laughs> so that's the reason I've got this to try and fill you off with. It's the word in your ear, Matt. You are on the same side. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> well, we, we recently had a discussion. <laughs> No, we recently had a discussion about this, and actually there's, um, there's an argument to be put forward that people do enjoy that kind of experience. I, I don't know how, but they do. Otherwise, how, did he get, how does he get more people come back to his table every time? It's, there is something to be said for dark horror. There is something to be said for that. Not every story has to have a happy ending, and it can be a miserable, horrendous experience that ends in madness and insanity. And to be fair, I'm going to head towards that as well. I don't, don't particularly like it if every game is like that, but I like to have at least the glimmer of hope or the illusion of there being some kind of way to have a happy ending. But sure, that defeats all the source material, does it not? Depends which part, which parts of the source material you look at. The Dunwich Horror, for instance, does have to some extent a happy ending. It is a case where humanity does win. So even Lovecraft put the um, put the on the table that there would be the t- the chance for a happy ending. Baz, do you want to undermine Matt's you know strong and rational argument? Well, usually my role is to undermine Gaz, but I'm finding it <laughs> difficult in this case. Listen, Call of Cthulhu gaming is just a giant exercise in frustration. I mean. I asked my eight-year-old son, who has read the Call of Cthulhu story, I asked him, you know, what, what does he think a game would look like based on that? And he said, well, surely it'd be, it'd be pretty short, Dad. What would be the point in playing it? And I said, well, you're right. I'd take a short Call of Cthulhu game any day. The trouble is they're always bloody four hours long. And the first three hours is just the preamble to the last hour, which is where the interesting, and in scare quotes, interesting bit might happen, which is when you get your shotgun out and shoot yourself <laughs> in the face. It's just so obvious. And... After 20 years of, you know, spoiler alert, Cthulhu's a great old one, he's a big mysterious thing in the universe and nobody really knows he's there but he's underlying everything. That spoiler seems to be introduced into every single facet of my gaming for the last 20 years. And I got bored with it in 1983 and in 2015, can't we think of a new way to horrify people? That's, that's too old Attract and too dull. <laughs> Scott, do you want to... Talking of too old. Sorry, mate. I think Gaz actually put forward a very good argument for why there is too much, perhaps, cliched Cthulhu in gaming, but what we talk about as Cthulhu, I mean, is generally Lovecraftian horror. And Lovecraftian horror is a fairly broad and blasphemous church. Um, That, you know, the the themes you talked about of existential horror, of of body horror, of, of personal horror, you know, what is lying within you and so on, that's all there within Lovecraft. And I think the good, you know, inventive Call of Cthulhu scenarios, you know, if we're just talking about Call of Cthulhu to begin with, draw upon a lot of these elements, draw them out, and, and do so in very interesting and imaginative ways. Um, we're not just endlessly repeating Lovecraft, <coughs> we're not just endlessly repeating the same scenarios we started out playing Call of Cthulhu with. You know, this is a living, thriving art form. Uh, or at least creative form, and yeah, I, th- I think we should be happy to explore it in all its horrid diversity. 
Like Scooby-Doo Cthulhu, is that something that you're talking about? Yeah, that's about just there? shit. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's an example of something that's played, isn't it? And if people enjoy that, that's fine and good. I'm not saying they shouldn't. But how does injecting Cthulhu into Scooby-Doo or vice versa make any of them any better? Why does Cthulhu, why is Cthulhu the one that people leap to? Why is it involved in so many other scenarios you see? And it's this scenario, it's cowboys, but with Cthulhu, or it's people on a ship, but with Cthulhu and the cruise liner. Why is, why, what makes that better by the inclusion of Cthulhu? Could it not just be a horror story generally? Well, I, I think in a lot of cases people are doing general horror stories, but they're using a lot of the tropes that have come out of Call of Cthulhu because that's dominated horror ca- gaming for the last you know, 35 years. Um, but as I said, you know, the, 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 the tropes that, that includes are, are much more diverse than you, know, you do three hours investigation, you find something horrible at the end, you go wibble, everyone dies. And um, do, you think the, do you think the tropes actually undermine what could generate some of the horror or wonder? Because as soon as you start mentioning uh, a trackfish or the bug eyes or the person with the water eyes who speaks in the hotel, every meal goes, oh, it's deep ones. And a lot of the stuff that you would try and inject as horror, so you didn't inject any elements out of Lovecraft, the players immediately know what it is and all give each other knowing winks, they start nudging each other, this is one's going to be our deep ones, this is, there'll be a day going to be, just you watch. And all try and yeah. second guess what's going to happen. And any elements you're trying to, trying to build to make a successful horror game sort of get undermined by the fact that there's this well-known Cthulhu literature behind it. Yeah, and I don't know, sometimes it's fun playing with those tropes, using them in unexpected ways, even using them in familiar ways with the right group of players. Just because something is, you know, perhaps become a bit comical doesn't mean that you shouldn't, you know, every now and then play it for laughs, prod it in it, yeah, in interesting ways. Even, yeah, and, and even, uh, yeah, something like a different version of The Shadow of Rinsmith, if you put your own personal spin on it, just because it's Deep Ones and everyone knows it's Deep Ones, doesn't mean, again, you can't do something interesting with it. Um, I, I, I think, yeah, as long as you're creative with these tropes, they're no more limiting than, say, you know, the, the Tolkienian tropes of high fantasy, which have you know, started us out gaming and have kept us gaming for a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take a limit. I think sometimes putting limits around your your campaign or the way you want to run your game are actually they can increase your creativity because you're working with a nice set, set of parameters and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That can funnel you towards goodness. But there is still, despite all the diversity of Cthulhu, there is still the standard way to play it. And I think Gaz is right. I think three quarters of the way through the game, everyone's got their I Spy book of called Cthulhu out and they're waiting to put the tick next to the monster that's going to be of that week. And that just seems a very tawdry way to treat what could be a hugely diverse way of gaming. And the absolute killer for me is, it just isn't scary. And if Call of Cthulhu isn't scary, you ain't doing it right. And if you can't frighten people with a, now I recognise what it is, and all the horror bleeds out of the room and people are chuckling and nudging each other in the ribs, you've wasted everybody's time and including your own. Can I take this point, just throw it open to the audience, if anybody's got any comments. We'll take questions at the end, but periodically through the discussion, I can see Mr Nixon here has got his hand up. Um, can I ask the guys from the smart party what you do think would be frightening a role-playing game, if not Cthulhu? Yeah, I've been absolutely terrified in role-playing games before. I've been a wizard with a sleep spell and a dagger and one hit point. There is nothing more frightening. <laughs> and that is arguably a great deal more frightening than a lot of the Cthulhu games that I have okay, played. But, but sticking yourself to horror games, not, not fantasy games, what horror tropes do you think would be frightening if Cthulhu isn't? Can people hear that question at the back? Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. uh, what horror tropes are frightening um, that, aren't, you know, that, that would replace a Call of Cthulhu um, horror? I think one of the, the first things is, is when 
uh, Lovecraft wrote his books, it was all unknown. I think that's part of the problem we've got now. It's so well known and well trodden that he, he doesn't he doesn't feel frightened as well. But at the time when people read this, it was new and exciting, so they didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so for me, introducing things where you don't know what it is, we don't know if it's a deep one or it's just a thing, and you don't know how to deal with it, or what you know. There's a cult, but you don't know what it's talking about. That sort of stuff can generate more fear and interest in the players when something's happening that you don't know what it is or how to deal with it. That's that's where some of the the anxiousness you can generate in players comes from. Okay, so it's coming, coming back to the best example you yourself used. You've got a cruise lineup, and somebody was running a Cthulhu scenario might, you know, flood it with deep ones. You know, and then with you, like, have taken at the end, I completely agree with you, people do do the ice spot. I spy book of Cthulhu. You know, do you think it would be genuinely frightening if, say, they found Neptune at the end and they would just murder people? Well, that, that's just an. Uh, you're just reskinning the same scenario then with but the surely same, that's, that's, the same that's, monsters. But that's all you're ever looking at doing. People use, use deep ones as a shorthand because people know deep ones. If they weren't using deep ones, they simply use something else that wasn't deep ones, but they do I the think, same thing. With I think them. the key word is they said people know that. And what I'm saying is what would be frightening for me or what would get me in that sort of zone is. Unknown, unknown stuff. It's, it's the xenophobia. It's the fear of the unknown. Yeah. As soon as you're using shorthand and, and cutting to traps and things like that, that bleeds all the horror out of things because you know what's going on. You fall into a, a rhythm of acceptance. I think. So we just use nameless things. Okay. Can I oh, yeah. cut you? There's off. a Cthulhu book came out quite recently called Was it Nameless Horrors or yeah, something I, like I that? Yeah, I heard good things about it. <laughs> 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 the guys are rotten at jackasses, but the, the text is quite good. <laughs> but can, can I jump in with a point though? Just to okay, just briefly, because there's a couple of other questions. Yeah, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, you, you talk about that point at which everyone realises it's deep ones. Um, I mean, one of the things that I, you know, certainly when I'm running Call of Cthulhu, even fairly traditional Call of Cthulhu, that I try not to do is ever use names or use descriptions that, that you know, play upon any of those tropes. And, yeah, I know, for example, that, you know, a while back I ran a Call of Cthulhu, actually, sorry, a Cthulhu Dark scenario, that involved a very, very well-known Lovecraftian beastie. You know, Matt played it. He's known, you know, he's played Call of Cthulhu for donkey's years, knows it all inside out. At the end of it, he had no idea what was going on because just by sort of playing up the mystery and the unknown aspects and the horror and so on, yeah, I, I, I managed to you know, completely wrong-foot him, unnerve him and so on without him ever going, oh, it's one of those. Yeah, I'll just take one more question. A couple of people have their hands up. Um, yeah, can I go to Marcus here? The <laughs> problem that bothers me a bit from Call of Cthulhu is what aren't we getting because we're getting more and more of Cthulhu. So what, what, what is it kind of drowning out, almost? Yeah, I've, 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 I've wondered, um, for example, I've, I've done some Hodgson role-playing games. William Hogan's a brilliant horror writer. There's very little horror, very little RPG stuff based on it. So the question is, if we weren't getting all this Call of Cthulhu, maybe if the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game didn't exist, <coughs> what would what would we be getting? What would we be seeing more of? Do you want to I think um, that's speak on that? I think, yeah. that's, I think that's a really interesting point because I have no issue. I don't believe there's too much Cthulhu in Call of Cthulhu. That's a perfectly good place for it to be in. No worries at all. In the same way as I've got no problem with there being too many dragons in Dungeons and Dragons. That seems a good place to have it. Where it bleeds over into the rest of the entire hobby, that's where I have the issue. Where I can't play a superhero game at a convention without some tentacles appearing. Where I can't play an espionage game set in Munich in 1960 without, oh, big surprise, it's a Schubnigarath thing going on. Really? Is that the only thing that we can do to provide isolation, panic, fear the unexpected, 
all of those really good primeval feelings that horror gaming can give you have been eaten, post-ironically, by <laughs> Cthulhu and his minions. Stay within your box, which is a massive box to play within. Call of Cthulhu, great game, classic game, never to be underestimated. Play Call of Cthulhu. There's a whole world of horror, which I think, I think, Marcus, to your point, I think you're right, it being shoved aside by the tentacles. Too much. Would there anything to say on this side on that topic? Um, I can launch in with one of you. One of the things I did a little bit of research before um, coming out on this, I think part of it is down to just plain visibility, and visibility is going to come down to popularity. Um, RPG Geek listed, uh, listed as of last night 5,679 different RPG titles, of which when you filter that out as to which ones either have the words Cthulhu, Lovecraft, Eldritch, and basically isolate which ones are of a Cthulhu mythos-based game, it comes down to 27, which is less than half a percent. But Call of Cthulhu rates at number one on that list. Trail of Cthulhu rates number five, and so on further down. It comes down to the fact that we see a lot of it because it's popular. That just because it might turn up in another game system is because it's popular. I don't think it's there's too much, because when you take it by the numbers, half a percent of all the different RPGs out there, that's not a lot. Okay. So HP Lovecraft in you know, in the scope of authors is a relatively obscure author. Why do we think that he has his works have had such a massive impact? In you know the modern kind of geek culture, if you want to call it that, certainly in role-playing games, like you've, you've mentioned, Baz, just now, how it sort of bled into everything else. Mm. What's the reason for that? I blame Sandy Peterson. You blame Sandy Peterson. Without him, <laughs> it'll be different. Well, perhaps so. Do you want to? Do you have any, anybody got anything to say on that? Okay, let's is take. Is it not that? Yeah. I mean, if, uh, if, if you're running a game that isn't necessarily called a Cthulhu, surely um, the, the main protagonist could well be anything. Um, I can simply mean by it, it's too much Cthulhu, because initially we would think that it would be Cthulhu, but it could be anything that is the main protagonist. And um, at the moment, in the game system as it is, I see that it does tend to slip into the um, but it's essentially it's just a way of explaining a situation. So do you think people hang whatever they've got, they just kind of use the Call of Cthulhu framework to kind of hang their own things on? Very easy thing to, to hang things on. Okay, can I just take a point from someone else? Well, I have certain point you're making now, yeah. but yeah. the reason Call of Cthulhu worked so well is because of the time it came out. Yeah. Prior to that, we had Dungeons and Dragons and Traveller and all the other systems, and they were fantasy-based adventures. When Call of the Cthulhu came out, it was one of the first true investigative games. Yeah. And so the original Call of Cthulhu, that's why it's so big, because it looks at it and goes, right, you're a bunch of whoever you might be, yeah, whatever, whatever your group is, and you've got to discover something, or not in this case, preferably. Yeah. But yeah, that's the premise of the game. That's where role-playing changed so much. We were originally war gamers that became role-players that wanted to do fantasy battles or starships or whatever superheroes, as you quite rightly say. But because Cthulhu changed the way we think as gamers and GMs, 
That's why it has so much impact. That's why other people go, oh, well, I'll, I'll go and travel. I'll, I'll grab a few bits here. But do understand what we mean, that it, it gets into too many games too much, but that's because it's such a big thing in our lives. It's a way of explaining something that we don't know. I mean, it's my perception that, you know, when we talk about what is there too much Cthulhu in role-playing games, one of the, when that topic was initially sort of put forward, uh, I kind of asked myself, well, what does that mean? Because yeah. does it mean 1920s role-playing? Well, no, because it can be modern, it can be Roman, it can be science fiction. Does it mean uh, a gritty horror game? Well, no, because I've played in loads of games that are kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, or, you know, different tones. Uh, does it mean... Does it mean... How many people have run a Call of Cthulhu game? Put your hand up. How many people have run a game where actually actual Cthulhu has appeared? Okay, not many hands. A handful. So Cthulhu, actually Cthulhu, very rare, rarely appears in role-playing games. So obviously, you know, we're using Lovecraftian tropes. What is it at the panel? I'll put this to the panel. What is it you feel? Is actually what? What is it that's Cthulhu that is entering role-playing games? I'd say, from a raw perspective, you've got some. Um, someone likes to have a good monster to fight if they want to play D and D, or they want to have some opponent that has an interesting description. Doesn't just simply it's an orc. It runs around. It stomps around. Um, Cthulhu monsters have an evocative description. They have a style unto themselves. They are. They're different, they're interesting, and they're exciting, to be honest. But D&D &D monsters can be interesting and exciting and um, unique or unusual. I'll take your word for it. And horrific. <laughs> I, well, I, I think there's two different things at play here. Um, one is that, yeah, taking Matt's little plush Cthulhu here, you know, Cthulhu in various forms has become a sort of geek icon over the last you know, 20 years or so. Um, that you know, it, it's become a shorthand for a certain type of monster, it, it, and and it's become very abstracted from what Lovecraftian horror is. And I think you know that's dominated a lot of what people think about it in Cthulhu. At the same time, you know, th thanks to Call of Cthulhu, I think the themes of sort of general Lovecraftian horror at the same time have crept into a lot of other media, um, a lot of uh, other role-playing games. Um, and, and quite often in, in ways that you know, are, are completely divorced and unrecognisable from you know, that little green fellow there. Um, I, you know, if you look at you know, even classic horror movies like The Thing and Alien and so on, none of those would exist without Lovecraft, but at the same time, I don't think anyone looks at those and thinks that they're just through cliches. I think this, if you look at a modern uh, sort of geek culture example, there's something like True Detective, the first series of which we'll just concentrate on <laughs> for reasons. Go, go and watch and judge for yourself. But that that could arguably have had King of Yellow influences in there and, and that sort of stuff. If you're one of us, if you're a geek, if you read Cthulhu stuff and all that kind of stuff. But I think certainly people I've spoken to at work or wherever who I know nothing about Lovecraftian work still got a lot out of that. And I wonder how much of that TV show was us implanting that imprinted Cthulhu knowledge onto what we knew and looking for references and all the rest of it. I think that's part of the problem in games we play, that you can't just play the game for the sake of it. When you're playing Cthulhu games or other games with Cthulhu in, you're looking for the references, you're looking for the little Easter eggs that the, the show designer or the game runners left in there for you because you're a fan of that genre. 
So to a degree, I think the unfamiliarity, the fact it's a geek icon, the fact that it bleeds into current media at the minute is we're constantly looking for that familiarity and comfort and that so you can nod to your friend and say, yeah, I spotted that, you spotted it, yes, we did too. And, you, and that sort of element's taken away from the the horror and the worry and the, the anxiousness that you're trying to generate in, in play because it's, it's almost like, a, ironically, introducing Cthulhu is introducing a security blanket for your players as something that they know and can hold to or putting a pattern of working and, and that works. Yeah, well, again, as I said earlier, I don't think that's necessarily indicative of too much Cthulhu. I think that's indicative of too much cliched or bad use of Cthulhu. I'll take a couple of comments from the audience. Uh, Steve? Uh, how much of the language of Lovecraft do you think has made Cthulhu so popular? I mean, he never used a, a simple word when it, something could be squamous or eldritch. <laughs> Does the panel think that the language has had an effect? Uh, I could do it having more effect. I'd be quite happy if my, my GM uh, was, was good enough to sprinkle that kind of language into a game. I'm not. I, I couldn't do it. I'm, I'm no literary creator at all. I've got no trouble with that at all. I like squamous, I like fetid, I like all of that stuff. I just prefer to apply it to beholders and kobolds. Um, yeah, it's just a comment. Uh, I guess back to a couple of the earlier points. Um, I think the reason Cthulhu is local is because it's cosmic horror, which is conceptually very interesting. But the re- that's also the reason that it's a terrible horror game. And I think that you shouldn't expect Call of Cthulhu to be a horror game. It's an investigative game. It's a fantasy game. It's a science fiction game, definitely. Uh, But I don't think it does its job as a horror game. If you want a horror game, something like uh, uh, Dead Night does a lot better job, for example. Um, But it just doesn't horrify. So cosmic horror, you can't really translate that to the table. Hmm. Can I just have a show of hands from the audience? Yeah, on that on that question, do you feel when you're playing Call of Cthulhu, you're playing a horror game? If you do, then then, but yeah, is the main feeling is it horror or is it something else? It's so yeah, it depends. Yeah, it depends. Okay, I, won't, I won't ask for a show of hands on that. Let me ask the panel on that. Um, do you feel that you know what's it what's it about then, Cthulhu? Is it about horror? Is it just about a, a, a kind of a nod to some sort of uh, geek culture thing? Is it almost becoming a slapstick thing? What's it generally about? Well, the trouble is it's do, trying to do all of those things all the bloody time. When My introduction to Call of Cthulhu was through the RPG, and I'd never read a word of Lovecraft before then. And as the gentleman at the back rightly says, in my opinion, it's, it, it was about investigation. And it opened up role-playing to investigations as the core activity in the game, rather than exploration or murder. <laughs> so, <laughs> Although those things had to happen as well. So for me, it smacks of investigation. That's where it comes from. So would you and, say it works as investigation best? Uh, whether it works or not, I think, is a different seminar. But for me, Call of Cthulhu means investigation game. And then as a Brit, I, be- I was brought up on Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which was a fancy investigation game, and it brought all of those pieces of Call of Cthulhu into it. So I never saw it as a horror game, and that was reinforced for me by the fact I've never been scared playing Call of Cthulhu. Hmm. Now, I mean, that, that, that's interesting, because I'm personally, the, the investigative aspect of Call of Cthulhu is the thing that interests me the least about it. 
And when I write Call of Cthulhu scenarios, when I run Call of Cthulhu games at uh, conventions or, or at the club or at home, um, yeah, I, I, I bother very little with the investigative side. I just go straight for the jugular. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested in trying to scare people. I'm interested in unnerving them. I, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, all, all the kind of freaky stuff that you're supposed to build up slowly to in Call of Cthulhu, and I want that out front to begin with. Um, and, yeah, yeah I, I don't think just because traditionally it comes out of investigation doesn't mean by any means you're limited to investigative games with it, and shouldn't be. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like Delta Green, the, the exercise so that's like 90s X-Files because I like X-Files more than it necessarily being Cathedral it could be, could be anything to be honest but the way they've written about it is quite good I think to, to sort of add into the more the, the sort of when people say and then it depends I think that's part of the problem is if I sign up to a traveller game I've got a good idea about that there's probably a spaceship in it as a better be <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there might be guns or, or cutlasses so, so that, you know what I mean there's certain things you expect from traveller or playing D&D, or whatever. So if I sign up for a Cthulhu game, I've kind of got an idea in my head about it being sort of investigative, there'll be some horror elements, whatever. It can be about whatever. But when you sign up to it, if, even if the people in this room don't know what they want or expect from that game, what, what are they getting out of it that is Cthulhu? What's Cthulhu doing? I think is my core point there. So like, if you're signing up for a Cthulhu game, and it depends who's running it and what scenarios and all the rest of it, how do you even know what you're getting? Is it BRP that you want? Is the fact that you just want a Cthulhu brand? Is, you know, what, what are you after? I can sign up for a Pathfinder game and know the sort of game I'm going to get. If I sign up for a Cthulhu game and don't know what I'm going to get, what's the point of Cthulhu? That's what's the cheaper? That's you, look, you look very <laughs> contemplative, and I realise you're the chairman, but you're kind of in the middle, so I'm looking at you. But that's that's if it's being sold as a Cthulhu game. You're sort of so saying, what am I getting? If I go to a convention like like this one, for example, and there's all these different games up on the board. There's there's cowboys, there's science fiction, there's superheroes, there's horror games, there's Pathfinder, there's D and D. There's anything you can imagine. There's the whole cornucopia of games out there. Mm. Why would I plump for that Call of Cthulhu one? You know, what am I expecting from that game? Why would I sign up for that particular game? What am I going to get out of that? And if we can't define something that we want from that, and Cthulhu can be anything, then you don't know what you're getting, surely. So, I think there is an element of that. Certainly, when I've approached writing some Call of Cthulhu games, I've kind of just uh, tried to write a like a sort of a one-shot convention game. I've, I've approached it of a mind of kind of it could be anything and then at the end of, of the end of writing the scenario sometimes I, I think oh well, hold on this is supposed to be Call of Cthulhu I better stick some mythosy uh, flavour into it because all I've written is a kind of a, a horror based uh, situation with some characters and locations and and uh, it doesn't you know it doesn't use any of the of the Lovecraftian monsters or whatever so I'd say oh you know Yogg-Sothoth did it or something um, and then it's and then you know it's kind of got licence to fall under the Call of Cthulhu umbrella then or the you know, the Cthulhu name. Does that not contradict your original argument, though, I guess? I'm, I'm just I'm throwing points out there, so I'm, I'm not... I'm, I'm I'll watched, uh, um, what was it called? That was nice. <laughs> 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 I watched one too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 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 Sorry, could you Cabin say that? In the woods. Cabin, Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. Okay, okay you watched Cabin in the Woods. It's essential to me, Lovecraftian games. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredibly Lovecraftian from start to finish. It brings in lots and lots of elements that are important in many Lovecraftian games. And um, when it comes to the end of it, it's a dry fist that comes up out of the ground, not tentacle, dry fist. Spoilers! Spoilers! Sorry, podcast, that's nice. 
but, uh, but yeah, and uh, that to me was the quintessential Lovecraftian movie. So you'd argue that uh, films and, and uh, well, and, and games by extension can be Lovecraftian or Cthulhu come under the Cthulhu exactly. bracket without using any of those uh, yes, you know, without, without deep ones, of the off, off or whatever. Do we feel so, that as the panel... So, so we don't need Cthulhu then? Good. No, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> but do we feel that as the panel that, that things can be you know, Cthulhu without having any mention of any of the, uh, you know, the Lovecraftian elements or, or, the, or the kind of uh, Call of Cthulhu... Um, very, very, very much so. You can apply this argument to some a discussion we've had as well in the past about what is noir. That you could argue that Cthulhu is very much a genre rather than just being a, a load of placeholder names for monsters. That it is very much a style as well as a substance. Yeah, and and also, I mean, that talk about you know, is it really Lovecraftian because there were no tentacles? And the tentacles thing is a very kind of lazy bit of shorthand yeah. because you know, very little Lovecraft actually involves anything like that. Yeah. It's more that sense of creeping dread, that sense of uh, unimportance in the universe, the fact that there are forces out there that could crush us without even noticing, and you know, the general irrelevance of human life in the cosmic scale of things. And I think that's a much more interesting thing to you know, investigate than you know, being eaten by something with tentacles. Yeah. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Just move up to the back there. Somebody in the white shirt at the back. You have to shout. That's all right. I think, in all fairness, I think it's about knowledge. And now, if you as a gaming group, GM has to know you're not well enough to play not to your knowledge, to be describe it in a way that you don't go, oh, it's because, or oh, it's in himself, or... I don't think there's too much with the gaming. I think your point's valid there. There is a lot of it. Your point's valid, but just to pick you up on on that particular bit, you're saying the GM's got to know his gaming group. So if I'm running a Cthulhu game at this convention, what what do I do there? That's that's the thing. It's about describing it so you've got to play on the sense that most people that come to conventions do have a decent amount of knowledge. To an extent of most games, not every game, because then you want to to learn more. But yeah, yeah. it's about. I think for your home group, you can definitely, you can amongst yourselves, you can, you can definitely get a level certainly, yeah. but, uh, and you can subvert levels. But I think at conventions, you've got, you just don't know who you're getting at the table. You know, they, they could know nothing, they could know something, they could have just started role playing, they could have been playing for thirty years, they could have written games, they might not know anything about it. You know, it's it's a real mixed bag. It is a mixed bag, and you. You know, and it's not to say that it's not a bad thing if you do know what's about to happen. As long as you yeah. don't let that bleed out to everybody else, I would yeah. say. Well, yeah, yeah, and, and hopefully and most players don't let that bleed out because you're meant to be playing the character, not you, you play knowledge. You'd hope so. But, but, but I think it... But, yeah. but, but, but there's all, I think there's also a point to be made there that, um, you know, I, I don't think... It's a desperately interesting call of Cthulhu scenario or Cthulhu type game or whatever. If the big revelation at some point is, oh, it's deep ones. Um, and, you know, that, that, you know, the fact that you can identify that, you know, the person with the shambling gait and the big eyes and so on is probably a deep one hybrid and so on. Yeah, I mean, you know, most, most players are going to pick stuff up like that. You, you don't make that the crux of the scenario. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, that, that revelation is a minor thing along the way to, you know, something far more, I don't know, visceral, unpleasant, nasty, whatever, something that is going to affect the players. Um, and yeah, that doesn't have to be based at all on any kind of knowledge that they might have got from reading the books. 
So I went to Continuum last couple of years ago, and if you wanted a game of Cthulhu, you'd be a happy boy or girl or other person. If you wanted any other game, you'd be really struggling. I'd argue if there's too much Cthulhu in gaming if you went to Continuum, because 90% of the games were Cthulhu. Now, if you like Cthulhu, or that's perfectly fine, you're in heaven, it's great. But for the other 99 point, percent of games that are out there being run, they're not being run. So is that not an argument there's perhaps too much Cthulhu in gaming there? Well, no, how, how many of those games didn't get synapsed? I don't know. I have no idea. And yeah, also I'd, the roots... say, I'd say most of them were probably four. And also the roots of the convention stems that it was traditionally either Cthulhu or Grant that be run there. If I was to go to, let's say, a Pathfinder convention or turn up to a Pathfinder Society meetup, I could quite happily turn, uh, cry my eyes out and go, where's Cthulhu? Oh, Matt, you should come <laughs> to some of the Pathfinder games I've signed up for, or some of the GURP Supers games I've signed up for, or some of the Arabian Nights games I've signed up for, or anything that doesn't have Call of Cthulhu in the title, but at some point in the four hours, guess what? It's tentacle time. <laughs> That's where it annoys me that I desperately try to avoid it. You can't move for Cthulhu. Pentalicious, one might say. I have no objection to Cthulhu in a Call of Cthulhu game. He's getting called. He's going to be there soon. It's not a problem. It's a booty call from the Great One. I get it. But if I'm going to sit down to play Pathfinder, first of all, take me to hospital or something's gone wrong. Second of all, I really don't need to see any deep ones in my D&D. I really don't. And it infects everything. And it's, it's clawed its way and it's come up out of the sewers into so many games where I really wouldn't expect it. From the Wild West to the far future to every bloody where. And surely there's got to be different ways to scare me. Sometimes the most surprising and fearful thing I see in a game is when Cthulhu doesn't appear. <laughs> it's terrifying, because I'm really out of my depth at that point. <laughs> okay, well at this point I'd like to hand over to a thoroughly impartial uh, member of the audience, uh, Mr Mike Mason. <laughs> appears to have something... It's, Mike is... Uh, um, uh, line developer for Cthulhu uh, from Chaosium, in case people didn't know. Uh, Mike, do you want to share your thoughts for this? Should on the this? title of this panel be Is There Too Much Cthulhu in Convention Gaming? Because all your arguments seem to be about convention game. True. Turning into a, yeah. turning into a convention yeah. game and finding Cthulhu's in a not Call of Cthulhu game sure. is what you just said is a problem for yeah. you. Yeah. So surely the problem comes in the... Uh, you've said, you know, if I sign up to a Cthulhu game, I don't know what I'm going to get. Well, you clearly do. What you don't know Board. is if I sign up to, if I sign, yeah, if I sign up to a Pathfinder or a D&D game and Cthulhu turns up, yeah. what you should be talking about is a signposting to that. Yes. That's clearly, there's a problem there in terms of signposting for those games because you're turning up with expectation that it's going to be D&D mm-hmm. and then Cthulhu pops up. That's clearly not what well, your expectation is. It's presented as a surprise in those situations. That's sure. the really weird thing. Yes. It's like, oh, here's a big chill. <laughs> it's going to be, it, it wasn't the cobbles after all. It was the deep one. Oh, well, colour me surprised. I could have written that down in a golden envelope and put it in a safe four hours ago. It, it is not a surprise. It's actually very, very templated scenario writing, and I think it's lazy, and I think Scott mentioned it. That kind of shorthand of trying to add chills into a game by adding in something that everybody knows and we will chuckle about rather than be scared about, I think it's poor GMing. It, 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 just to sort of follow up then, I, th- I completely agree. I think what you're talking about is actually lazy scenario design. Yeah. It's about the problem is actually introducing a monster, and the fact of introducing a monster creates horror. Yeah. Clearly, it, it never has done. Mm. Clearly, it never has done. Actually, so 
intelligent scenario design is actually looking to how to build horror with the tools that you have, Agreed. some of which may be including a monster at some point. But that's actually the issue, is actually good scenario design. I agree. Yeah, I'll, I'll just bracket, you mentioned that we, we're talking about convention games, and we are in a broad sense, because if there's too much Cthulhu in your gaming personally at home, then you should change that. And if you're not doing that, it's your own fault. So you know, have a word with yourself, frankly. So we've got to talk in broad terms, because I, I can't go, well, I can. If you pay me expenses, I'll come around your house and tell you why your games are wrong. But, but it's probably best to sort it out yourselves first. If you, if you want to hear about how your game's wrong, there's uh, We're the guys a whole podcast. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a young member of the audience here. Can I take a question? I'm okay. very pleased to meet you, young man. We'll shake hands afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so you're more frightened by the D&D game than, than the Call of Cthulhu game? Yeah. Could, could yeah. You, do you know why? or can you, you know, Have you got ideas about why it might have been more scary? Or the mechanics? Um, I'm not too sure. Like, um, what, um, we went into this room and we found a load of So is the, is the sort of the feeling of danger or the yeah. being a bit nervous about what might happen that was kind of the bit that drew you in, I think, yeah. Okay, anybody else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Anne. Um, I think Call of Cthulhu and the, the Cthulhu mythos speaks to something very um, primal in, in humanity, the fear of things that you can't control. So if you are someone who struggles to write scenarios, which I am, I'm sure everyone is at some point, then you want to find a metaphor for that, and you want people to um, to feel that kind of fear. So you reach for the thing that is the most common metaphor, and in gaming that is Cthulhu. And it's the most common metaphor because it's a hugely popular game. We don't want to wallpaper over any cracks, um, but perhaps we also need to uh, expand on the type of Cthulhu aspects that we use. It's, as you say, it's always a deep one. Um, there's not enough Arthur German, for instance. You know, we should there's not enough Arthur German. Let's move on from that. <laughs> I think uh, you tapped into the field of the room there. <laughs> okay, thanks, Sam. Can I, so, can I bring the panel to the question of... We, we've discussed, is there too much Cthulhu in gaming? Is there enough Lovecraft in gaming? Mm, that's yes. Is that a different topic, or is that the same thing? Very different. Do you want to speak on that, Matt? Why is it different? How is it, how is it different? Right. If you take a look at the Lovecraftian source material, let's take, for example, The Nameless City, in which you have a single, protag- um, a single character that stumbles around some ruins, finds a little bit of in- um, an idea of what happened there previously, and then vanishes under a trapdoor. You don't get that generally in a game environment because you've got more than one player. There are, I will admit, there are single-player adventures out there. They're very good. But again, they don't have that same ultimately defeatist, very short point. A game takes um, takes place over a longer period of time and generally is more, I'd say, if you're looking at Call of Cthulhu, is more Dilathian than it is Lovecraftian. You have an approach which is about more adventure, about humanity standing a chance. It's got... 
frankly, it's got more engagement on the, on the part of the players involved. They have a more active role in developing that story rather than being a passive lens that's just watching the scenery go by in, in certain instances. So, no, I'd argue it's more Dalathian than it is Lovecraftian. Does anybody else want to speak on that? Yeah. Um, Scott? But, but, yeah, I mean, this, again, goes back to, you know, what I was saying before about lazy design, that there is so much within Lovecraft, so much within his themes and uh, the imagery he uses and so on, that we very rarely use in games. We, we, we tend to focus on the monsters. And that, yeah, I, I agree entirely with the premise that, that there is too much Cthulhu and not enough Lovecraft. I'd love to see much more of that Lovecraftian influence there. Count that as a win. Count that as a win. Shocking that one. Yeah, we've got that on, on, on tape. Tape? Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> this, this is the man who's living in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> we record on real time. It's only a C45, so I might have to turn it off yeah. in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Nixon, you got another? Yeah, is, is it not just the, the, the case that the rest of the world is actually now starting to catch up with the rest of us? I mean, we've had Cthulhu since the guideline of the early 80s. Um, if you look around even at kids' cartoons <laughs> now, you know, you're starting to get Cthulhu turn up in things like The Adventures of Billy and Mandy on Cartoon Network. It's turned up in South Park. Yeah, you know, can, Cthulhu, can Cthulhu I, has almost become a character like Dracula now, and people are just starting to realise it, and that's why you're seeing it around an awful lot. Yeah, can I can I um, jump in here and say, um, you know, I think there's there's a perception that we're almost reaching a saturation point of Cthulhu because we're we're you know I think as an audience we're very focused on role playing games, um, and we're seeing Cthulhu you know uh, playing a large part in that and entering lots of, of aspects of that. Um, but I mean, as you know, on the broader culture, it, it hasn't really made that much of an impact. We see little things on Facebook and little jokes and plushes and stuff like this. But I mean, if it was picked up in a in a Hollywood film, I mean, if um, Del Toro had made his Man- uh, Mountains of Madness film, you know, what would that have done for this kind of Cthulhu and Lovecraft? And um, I think it was Jeff earlier in the um, in the Chaosium panel mentioned that there's more Call of Cthulhu. Uh, is this right, Mike? More yeah. Call of Cthulhu products sold in Japan than in the rest of the world put together. So, you know, if we were having this panel in Japan, man, it would be on a totally different scale. So have we hit... Are, are we going to hit that kind of scale? I think within the hobby, we have. Within is the hobby. Is it So I didn't quite get the question. As, as a player, right, when you've got a character going into a role-playing game, be it not a Call of Cthulhu game, obviously, because that would be obviously you'd expect him to, to meet the, the, the dog. But as, as, as a player, put the character in any game, you're not expecting Call of, any kind of relationship to the deep ones and the old ones and all that sort of stuff. Well, this is something Baz was referring to, I think. Yeah, I think I do expect it. I'm kind of surprised when it doesn't happen because it is that prevalent, that kind of pop culture thing where Cthulhu's getting ever more present in, well, pop culture. I think it saturated RPGs a long time ago and is actually bleeding out into the mainstream after that. In the same way as Dungeons & Dragons has done, that every game that you can buy today owes something, whether it be a video game, a board game, a family game, the idea of levelling up is so prevalent. I think Call of Cthulhu has now burst through the boundaries of role-playing games and is, is getting into the popular culture. Um, and there's just not a lot of room left for manoeuvre. 
And I think there should be. There are some fantastic horror games, some fantastic investigation games, some fantastic games about living in the 1920s. Pick any piece you want out of Lovecraftia. It's there. Unknown armies, cult, loads of games that you could use. And again, Call of Duty is great at what it does, but it's bled out into almost everything else. And there is like a stain yeah. spread throughout the entire hobby and it's bleeding out into the real world. Yes, I mean, it's definitely spreading its tendrils out into the rest of culture. But, I mean, it's nowhere near saturation point. I mean, if you compare the prevalence of Lovecraftian tropes in general media to, say, zombies, for example. Yeah. Zombies, yeah, you know, I think we can all agree are a saturation yeah. point. Most popular show on American television by a long chalk is The Walking Dead zombie show. They just won't die, will they? Yeah. <laughs> 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 but, but, yeah, I mean, there's zombies on TV, zombies in films and so on. Um, and, you know, we, we don't see anything like that with uh, Lovecraft mm. And, yeah, I, I don't think we can say that it's saturated until we get to that point. And, yeah, I hope we never do, but, mm. you know, I, I think it's unfair to make accusations of saturation until... Within the I hobby. Think, I think within the hobby there is that more of a saturation comparatively. Like, the, given the prevalence of The Walking Dead and all the zombie... There's zombies everywhere, isn't there, in mainstream media. There's not that level of zombie games. You know, I don't come to a convention and I'm, I can't move for a zombie scenario or whatever. There, there's some... But it's not. I think within our hobby, the saturation point is kind of there. We're, we're getting quite up to a gills. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other points from the audience? Okay. Um, and I'll come to you next, Ben. Uh, just in your personal personal opinion, uh, what do you think Cthulhu plays? What um, its role is in most of the role playing games that you've actually played? The question was, what do we, what does the panel think the uh, the role that Cthulhu plays in games is? Yeah, what role has Cthulhu played in the game? I quite like his role because it's sleeping a lot. Can <laughs> <laughs> we just, <laughs> we just give a pithy kind of summing up of what you think that? Was that not pithy enough? No, it's a short well, that was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would liken it to Jack Skellington in the Nightmare Before Christmas, and about as frightening. Boom. Um. Well, I, I think the, the role that it's played in a lot of games, a lot of non-Call of Cthulhu games, is that yeah, people have adopted the monsters and a lot of the, the imagery, and in a lot of cases done it badly. Um, and that, you know, where it's done well, it's like the examples I said earlier of things like The Thing and, and Alien and so on, where it's almost invisible to you because you don't think of it like that. And if you see it in the game, you see those Lovecraftian influences in the game like that. I think yeah, that, that, that's quite a good thing. Pender, I think, yeah. Okay, this is going to get a bit, little bit geeky in terms of Dungeons & Dragons. Let's go. <laughs> um, so, if we're going to wink... Roll out, initiative. <laughs> if we're going to wink out um, Cthulhu monster, influenced monsters from Dungeons & Dragons, yep. um, what about Thrusden in um, Elemental Evil? Yeah. Yeah. What about Koatoans? What about mind flares? It only leaves me with about four monster manuals worth of stuff. Far <laughs> <laughs> realms, gibbering mouthers, oh. beholders, all of Tell those Lovecraftian monsters. Oh, absolutely. Those Lovecraftian monsters are perfectly good monsters, actually. And I think they've probably transcended their Cthuloid origins. When you see a mind flare in a D&D game, actually you don't think Call of Cthulhu. To be fair, I think they've done a very good job of making the illithids an illicit pleasure. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. I'm not here all week. <laughs> but Mr. Chinfingers is his very own thing, and I quite like him for that. But there's still 
they've done a very good job with that. The Far Realm is one of the things that used to really drive me mad because that is absolutely inserting Lovecraftian horror into my favourite hobby when I didn't ask for it to happen. But it was already there. The yes, elemental evil is the, is the far and Yeah, you're right, I know. And that's because, you know, Gygax and Arneson, they were around at the time when they, their influences were the golden age of pulp fiction. And I think that's easily forgotten, possibly by today's generation, I don't want to generalise, but they were looking from the 20s through to the 70s for their influences and Clark Ashton Smith and Lieber and Lovecraft were a big influence. But you could take it or leave it, and you could happily not have any of that. You could excise that from your game, and you could be about, you know, goblins. Not a problem at all. Um, and you could exercise Tolkien from your games. That church is big enough that you can go into any one particular room and have a discrete adventure. It's less easy now. Those that, that stuff has crept into the game. The current edition of D&D has great old ones as a patron for Warlocks. It's right there in the player's handbook. Dungeon Crawl Classics has got great old ones as a patron. It's, it's getting bloody worse. But if you're saying you could excise it, then why can't you excise it now? Well, because players of role-playing games tend to be players of role-playing games who've been around for a little while. And if you've played role-playing games for a little while, it's very hard to forget Cthulhu. Yeah, I'll take a few questions from the audience. What I'd like to do is uh, take people who haven't spoken yet, so um, I'll prioritise those. So, do I have any comments from the audience at this point? Okay, can I person in the red uh, jumper there? Yeah, uh, it's just that I've recently, well not recently, it's been about four years since I started role-playing. That's recent. And I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, believe me. Not this panel's been four years since recently. We're old. <laughs> so, um, but basically, I was introduced by Pathfinder, but during that, like, we talked about other games in the group, and Call of Cthulhu inevitably came up. But that means then, like, oh, but I had seen it creep in through other things, so it is bleeding out. Like, I did recognise it when people mentioned it, because, of course, South Park is referenced here and all that. But I wouldn't argue that it's actually a bad thing, because it's getting to the point, and I've seen it happen in other genres and other forms of media, where something has become so prevalent that people absolutely hate it and they avoid it and they start injecting other things into it. So I would say that Call of Cthulhu being so widespread within the RPG community is a good thing for it because it would give rise to, like, people will be tired of it. They will want to experience new forms of horror, new forms of RPG. They'll see it and they won't sign up for it because I've already played that for the experience. Cthulhu is to gaming what disco is to music. That's, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> I like People disco. with burning books and stuff saying it's good. Whatever you want to disco. The GMs who usually run through, what is it that attracts you to when you have a game scenario to write? You say, I'm going to choose a Cthulhu adventure. If, you know, with the... So, as GMs, what appeals to us to as write a Call of Cthulhu adventure as opposed to. A non-Cthulhu adventure. There are others out there. Uh, well, as you're the, the pro-Cthulhu side, do you want to speak to that? Why, yeah. why do you go for a Cthulhu-based game rather than writing something else? It's all about that. Oh, now it becomes clear. It is where the big bucks are. Hang on, there's money. What do I um, for me, when I look at writing a scenario, I like to have a large canvas that I can draw a lot of elements from. I like to have as many toys as I can that I can try and either not say, I've got to put them all into a game, but I've got the option if I wanted to. 
and then think what stories could spiral off this particular creature, this particular place, these um, other characters, not say monsters or any or a cult. That there's so much that you can bounce off. And even to the point where um, Dan Harms has written the, um, the Encyclopedia Cthuliana that's gone through three different editions, there's so much you can draw from. I don't think many other games have that. Um, maybe because with, you not draw from folklore, from you know, from from other sources, which I do in certain other games. Why do you yes. go back to what is it particular about Cthulhu? Because is there anything I, beyond that? Because I find it interesting. I think it's evocative, and it's generally personal preference. The thing that draws me to it is nihilism. Um, it's the fact that it is a bleak, hopeless universe that's being betrayed. It's the fact that we are so insignificant. It's the fact that there is no expectation of a happy ending or a positive outcome. Um, it's the fact that it's putting off the inevitable, surviving as long as you can. And it's the horror that goes with that. And that's the way my brain works. You're a happy, cheery soul, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, somebody in the back there. Yeah, of, of, of the side. <laughs> so you mean simple players as victims and you? you I, 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 I see every. I see everyone as a victim. Heroes and winners. Frankly, oh, well. that's what I get the general impression. You expect to win, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. But Baz does. I mean, we're sat on the same side of the, the panel here, but me and Baz have radically different views about our I game. I can't bear the sod. All right, easy time, man. Your views on how you see your your character, player characters, who are the sort of reason that GMs come. I think a lot of people that game, like certainly Baz, uh, a good friend Pete, is in the audience as well. He's very much on the hero side. They're like Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? The, the players are heroes. And I, they, they might get locked up, but eventually they'll escape and they defeat the bad guy or whatever. I'm, I'm with Scott's nihilism side a lot of times. You know what I mean? I, I, I like games that might be grim and gritty and you've not got any hope of it. And in fact, there is going to be no hope. But it's how does this story play out? How do the characters end? What's, what's their story? So I'm looking for a character's story. It might, it might be some games that have a happy ending. I like Green Pendragon. We all, you know, valorous nice, that kind of thing. Equally, I run hot war in a world that's been thermonuclear warfare has happened. There's only one city left, and that's going to expire very quickly Thank as well. So I've got the whole gamut. Sorry, I'm okay. Go for it. Yeah, we're, we're we're getting short on time, folks. So what I'm going to ask both sides to do is just to give a brief wrap up, like thirty seconds, just to say why you should vote for their side. And at the end, we're going to decide it once and for all. Are you going to have to go home and burn all your Cthulhu books? <laughs> <laughs> or will you be okay? I mean, or, or will you not have to? So uh, let's hand it over to you guys. Why should we, uh, re- you know, why is there too much? You don't, you don't have to burn Cthulhu, Cthulhu books again. yet. When 7th edition ships, then you will have to burn all the books. <laughs> 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 for now, they can keep books are safe then. When that arrives, everything else can ask to go to Rackery. Look, there's so much more out there. Don't confine yourselves in the dungeon, the oubliette of Cthulhu. If you want a horror investigative game, pick up Night Black's Agents or something like that. There are tons and tons and tons of games out there. There's lots of tropes. Matt can mine his little tunnel and find the things that he wants in there, and that makes him happy. Good. The rest of you run free. <laughs> He's given us stats. There's thousands of percentage of other games out there. There's just a whole world you can go into. You don't have to bury yourselves in Cthulhu. Free yourselves, my children. Don't listen to the hype. Okay, thank you to the smart part. Do you want to speak to that, Baz, or shall I hand it over to... Let's give the other guys a, okay. kind of a difficult subject for them. So Jackson Elias' side, what, do one of you want to speak? Yeah. 
Well, I've got two points I'd like to make. One is going back to what we said about sign-up sheets, conventions, and the number of games that Matt mentioned and so on. Yeah, obviously there isn't too much Cthulhu uh, in gaming at the moment because people seem to want this much. If there were too much, people wouldn't be signing up for all these bloody games. So, um, but yeah, patently there is not. But also, yeah, I think we barely, as, as I was saying earlier, I think we barely scratched the surface of what Lovecraft can offer in role-playing games, of what Lovecraftian ideas, the, the kind of cosmic horror, the nihilism, and so on. Yeah, I mean, it, it don't, when you think of you know, adding Cthulhu to a game or there being too much, don't think of there being too many tentacles or too many deep ones. Don't, you know, think, think of what else Lovecraft yeah, and, and his ideas and his tropes can actually add to your games. I'm sure you've seen just the tip of the iceberg. And likewise, from, from me, that, as I said, it's a vast canvas. Only a few of those elements have been drawn in. I can think of plenty I'd like to run scenarios with. With a canvas that hasn't been fully explored, I don't think that's overused. Question. And to add? The day they gave the great Cthulhu an armor class was the day I killed it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just came back radioactive so, and angry. So to wrap up, is there too much Cthulhu in gaming if you feel that your sympathies lie with the smart party and that there is too much Cthulhu in gaming, we're going to have both hands on an ER. Yeah! Yeah! And if your sympathies lie with the uh, good friends of Jackson Elias and you feel that there isn't too much Cthulhu in gaming and you'd welcome more, let's have a Fatagan! Fatagan! It's close, it's very close. <laughs> There truly is no hope in humanity. I'll ask, I'll ask the, uh, the smart party will I honourably agree and, and concede the argument at this point. Uh, I would play a game of Cthulhu with anyone in this room any time. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for... Uh, uh, Thank you oh, very much, time. everybody. Uh, easy Great dismount. <laughs> <easy, yeah. laughs> uh, we'd welcome your comments and so on. If you if you listen to either of the podcasts, then uh, and if you don't listen to them, please check them out. Thank you very much for attending, and uh, let's have another thirty years or forty years or whatever of Cthulhu. Fantastic! <laughs> I, I don't have to be a pastor anymore. <laughs>